0: So let's go ahead and get started, guys. Um, I'm going to really just try to answer four questions for us today. I'm going to answer what is worship, what worship itself is, is, the basic question. And I'm going to try to answer why. Why do we worship? Why should we worship? And then I'm going to answer how then do we worship, based on all of what we have heard, how do we worship? And then finally, how do we structure an order of worship? If you guys are looking to be worship leaders, how do you structure them? So let's start with what is worship at first. Who can tell me just a basic definition of what worship is? Take a stab at it. You don't have to be all there. But what is worship? How would you define it? The word itself, by the way. Showing praise to someone. Showing praise to someone. That's good. That's actually really good. Anyone else? Cool. So worship is it's actually longer. It's worth-ship. So strictly talking about worth it's assigning worth to something. or And it's assigning praise to something, right? But the way we like to define it is assigning worth to something. And so that changes your definition of worship altogether because we're constantly... Worshipping something, right? That's the first challenge that I'd like to place for you guys tonight or today, morning, evening, afternoon. That we're always constantly worshipping something. If the definition is assigning worth to something, we're constantly worshipping something. I think oftentimes we come into to the concept of worship thinking, oh, that's about God or that's about some type of deity. So I'm worshipping either this or that or that makes me some type of religious but worship is worship. is strictly just assigning worth to something. We're constantly worshiping one thing after the other. And that's just how our hearts are made. right? We're, we're made so that we can worship something. We're constantly people who are going to be assigning worth to something. There's a Francis Chan message where he's talking about a way of understanding how you assign worth to something. And he talks about strictly two things. He talks about time and resources. And he says resources can even really be your money. And he says, evaluate your time and money. Just look at your time and money. And if you can chart out where you spend your time and money over a day, over a week, over a month, over a year, that'll tell you what you worship. Where your money goes, where your time goes. So we're constantly creatures of habit. We're constantly people who are always worshiping something. So I'd like to challenge you guys on the definition of worship. But I'd also like to challenge something beyond that to say this. True worship, when we talk about scriptural worship, when we talk about worship of our God, worship of our God doesn't necessarily mean to just move away from the things that we're falsely worshiping. If we are to believe that there are things that we have been worshiping that are incorrect or not worthy of our praise, so to speak, then there are those things that are worthy and it is not strictly enough for us to walk away from the things that we should not worship. So let me give you guys a few examples, right? For a lot of people, celebrities are worship, right? We're fascinated by stories of people. Yeah? Any any famous celebrities that come to mind as I say that? Anybody? Shout them out. You shout them out. Come on. None of y'all follow celebrities? Ben Diesel. Ben Diesel? I like that. I like that. Fast and Furious. A group. Which one? The Really. Fast and Furious Breen, who's your favorite celebrity? Travis Scott There you go Put him on the spot like that We like it We like it Travis Scott Anybody else? What about a favorite musician? Sam Smith Drake We got the targeted people coming in That's right We're good Can some of you guys sit on this side as well Just to even it out be perfect Perfect Awesome Who said Drake, by the way? David. I don't like the new album, no. <laughs> You don't like the new album? On average, how much time a day do you spend? For about, about a month. How much time would you say you spend learning about Drake? Probably like an hour a month? Yeah. That's actually pretty good, man. <laughs> Anyone else? No, I'm just kidding. You no. Know, But the point being, and just for you guys who just walked in, we've been talking about the definition itself of worship. Worship strictly is longer form worth-ship, meaning that we assign worth to something. And the first challenge that I gave out to everybody here is to think that we're always constantly worshiping one thing or another. That worship is not strictly something that's religious. Worship is not strictly something that is about a god. It's everywhere. It's who we are as people. We're constantly worshipping something. And that's where this exercise came about, where we're trying to figure out who our famous celebrities are, musicians are, people we spend an hour a month on, things like that. So, worship itself gives us a challenge at that point. That it's not just enough for us to walk away from the things that we have been worshipping, but we have to focus our eyes on the right person to worship. Because the challenge there is this, if we don't know the right person to worship, then there is just no real means for you to walk away from the things that you don't want to worship. The reason why I say that is because I hear a lot of worship leaders say things like, oh, I want to become a better worship leader. I want to become a better this. I want to become a better that. And then when we challenge them on idols, it's easy for people to actually confess. It's surprisingly easy for people to confess idols. People will confess, oh yeah, I spent too much time with music or social media or on myself, whatever the case might be. But when the question becomes, well, how can you reorient those idols towards something else? They fail to answer that question. What is it about celebrities that interest us that can be reoriented toward God? What is it about musicians that can be reoriented toward God? That's a type of question that somehow becomes hard to answer. So the reason why I say that is because worship at the prime, at the first most, has to be a relationship with God. It is always a relationship with God. I don't know if I could ask you guys a question for you just to think about. When I say who is the closest person to you, someone probably just comes to mind. Yeah? And probably, You probably have somebody in mind. If you don't have somebody in your mind, let's talk. Like, we'll <laughs> But somebody is in your mind and most likely that person is someone you're constantly talking to. Yes or no? Yes? This person would be most likely someone you see quite a bit. Yes or no? Yeah? See naturally you see how the closest person to you is someone you've been in relation with the most. You've been talking to this person the most. You've been seeing this person the most. It's a relation. And as a matter of fact, what if? Let me, let me take an example. Who here would say that their mother in life is their closest person? Mother in life. Reva, Sam, Reva, life, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Reva, what if what would be your reaction if I just stood up here for about 15 minutes and just went at it about all the negatives of your mom? How would your reaction be? I would be mad, and I would probably say bad things about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That is correct because. See, for her, because she's the closest to her mom, she's assigning quite a bit of worth to her mom. Would that be correct for me to say that? And because you're assigning quite a bit of worth to your mom, you feel a certain type of respect and a certain type of dignity towards your mom. But where did that come from? Where did that worth-ship come from? It comes from you being close to your mother. Is that correct? And that's the same compromise that we have to come to when we talk about worshiping the true object, whatever that object might be, whether it is God or whoever, it, whoever itself can be. If we're strictly talking about worship, if you are wondering about the question, who should I worship or how can I worship this person that I should worship, it's strictly that you have to be able to walk into a relationship with this God. If you cannot walk into a relationship with God, then it almost makes no sense for us to call ourselves worshippers of God. We can be worshippers of different things. We can be superficial worshippers of Drake or any other celebrity because we talk about them, think about them, hear about them, read about them. We're somewhat creating a superficial relationship with them. But if you are to stand here and say, I want to worship God, you cannot get there without first walking into a relationship. Okay? But let's take that further. Because understanding what is worship just alone isn't enough, right? But why should we worship? Why is it necessary? Why is it necessary? I get this question quite a bit. Why is it necessary for me to show up to church every Sunday? I don't have to show up to church every Sunday. I can listen to a Spotify playlist. Pretty gold. I should listen to my Spotify playlist. Fire. It's one just for a Um But why, why do we need to worship? Let me give you guys a couple of things. For one, could someone tell me what we find in Genesis about creation itself? About humankind's creation. What do we find in Genesis? When God says he's making man, go ahead, He was made in God's image. See this is drastically different and this ought to give us a second challenge for today because a lot of people have this type of a definition of why God created man or how man was created or whatever, right? This is the type of definition that you'll hear about mankind. Well, man has always been this type of person who was prone to fail, who was always just this guy who was, you know, going to sin eventually and sinned eventually and Jesus comes together Jesus comes into this world and lives a perfect life because Jesus is Jesus. He's the Son of God and so therefore obviously He's going to live a perfect life. Jesus dies on the cross and we as sinful people look to Jesus and because Jesus has done all of this we thank Him for it and therefore we respond in worship. That is incomplete. Yes, sure, there are parts of that that is correct but that is absolutely incomplete and even if I could challenge to be incorrect. The true story of the Gospel looks something like this. That God who was perfectly fine and complete and satisfied in unity of the Trinity, chose to extend this fellowship of the Trinity into making mankind. That's what you see with what Shane was just sharing with us, because it says, let us make man in our own image. God, who is perfectly fine in the community of Trinity, is saying, let me expand my community now to involve this mankind. And the only way God can choose to expand His community is by making people just like Him. you guys understand that? It's a drastically different view of who mankind was supposed to be. Because we, by, nat- by nature, are supposed to be the image of God. We start off being the image of God. It's sin that taints that. It's sin that makes us people who are unworthy to be in community with God. And, the, and that ought to change how we think of Jesus and the centrality of the gospel as well. Because what, what Jesus is accomplishing on the cross is restoring what was lost in the garden of Eden. He's not giving us something new. He's not just changing lives altogether that Abraham couldn't experience or David couldn't experience. We were always meant to be the image of God. And Jesus is restoring that fully, completely, eternally for all of life on the cross. That's what's happening. So when we now take a step back, we have to understand the why of worship first starts with our creation, our identity. We were meant to be in the likeness of God. We were meant to be in full communion with the extension of the Trinity of God. It's almost like this. A lot of people say this, and I don't know if you agree with it or not, but people say things like, Well, just because we're brown, just because we're Indian, there's a certain aspect of us that's always going to be close to other Indian people that we cannot find with other people. Would you guys agree with that? There's something about race, something about culture. Yeah? that's Majority of you guys agree with that. And that's just another aspect of just being part of community. And that's what's happening at creation. But... Creation is, is not just telling us that we are people who are multiple, who are parts of multiple communities. Scripture is telling us that we're part of one community, which is the Trinity. So it makes no sense for us to walk away from a community that we were born in to be able to do something else altogether. So the first part of why do we worship is that we were created in a community that was an extension of the Trinity. But the second comes from Proverbs actually, and it says this: He has set eternity. He is, by the way, talking about God. He has set eternity in the human heart. So, Scripture is telling us that God, at creation, has placed in us something that is always going to long for eternity. What that means is this, that your definition of goodness is always going to change. Because it's always going to be eternal. Because you won't be truly satisfied with anything that is limited. Because you're always yearning for the limitless. And there's only one thing that we know that is limitless, and that is God himself. I don't know if this analogy will work, but I'm going to use it regardless. Um, And it has to do with (laughs) cheap burgers. Chrissy laughed at me when she saw that in my notes, by the way. Um, But it's like this. It's like if you grew up all your life eating McDonald's, there's a certain type of infatuation that you have with McDouble becomes your favorite burger. But I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but you start going to college or whatever it might be, and you start expanding your horizons, and then you go to this restaurant that's super famous, and then you try out a cheeseburger that's actually really good. The next time you come back home, you might still eat that McDouble from McDonald's, but you'll still think about that burger that you ate at that restaurant. Let me give you an example that's from my personal life. When when we went to Chicago for the conference, actually, this was about what three years ago, but two years ago when we were in Chicago, all of us went a couple, like a week ago or a week before that to hang out in Chicago. We went to this place called Asha Ball. Anybody know? know any the Chicago people know. You guys know. Asha Ball is a famous burger spot. It's been on lists and things like that. Now every time, so we went there and we really enjoyed this burger from Ashaval. Every time now, when we talk about any conversation of burgers, especially Benji and I, it's because we talk about it quite a bit, I guess. (laughs) But, every time we talk about it, any burger that we eat, we're always just like, oh yeah, but asheval is better. Oh, this is great, but you gotta try asheval. Like, that's always the conversation. And it's because the definition of goodness has continued to change. Before asheval, something else was better. But because we found Ashaval that was not anything better than whatever else we had had before, Ashaval now becomes the standard. And that's not to say that Ashaval is the best burger in the world. I might try a burger later in life that might even be better than Ashaval. And that, at that point, Ashaval's burger becomes not the best burger. My point being is that we're always people who are going to continue to redefine goodness. And the reason why that is important is because this why of worship tells us. That we have eternity placed in our hearts. If we have eternity placed in our hearts, we're constantly going to long for something that's always better than what we have. Something always better than what we have. How many of you can say that you're probably fully content with everything you have in That there's nothing else you're looking forward to? Yeah, not, not, not a few of you. How many would say that you've got a lot of things that you'd like to see that are better? Quite a bit of things. You'd like to see better habits, you'd like to see better relationships, you'd like to see better families, better friends, you'd like to see better jokes coming out of your mouths, right? You'd (laughs) you'd like to see better things in just about everything. It's because we're longing for eternity. This is real. And the reason why this doesn't necessarily get placed in our hearts is because we go back to the things that we seem that might seem to fill holes that are placed in our hearts but they're not going to fully fill those holes because remember it's for eternity and anything that we can find here is going to be limited so the answer to the why of worship is not only that we are a community we're an extension of community of the trinity that is found in god but also that we have this eternal hole placed in our hearts that can only be filled by something that is eternal And that is why that whole talk about relationship with Jesus before comes into play. There's a reason why Jesus is coming right after us so that we can be in a relationship with Him. So that we can be truly satisfied. If I could put it this way, this would be the third challenge. Worship is not about God, it's about us. Worship is not for God, it's about us. Worship is not so that God might get anything out of us. There's nothing that we can sing out here or play out here that God is yearning for, looking for. Can you imagine the God who created every single one of us has given us just specks of of musical talent or singing? He can sing better songs than us. He can play music better than us. He's a one-man band that can outshine all of us. It's it's not even comparable. So it's not for us to give our best to God so that for somehow God might be more glorified than He was ever before. No, worship is for our hearts to truly be satisfied in being human the way we were created. It is in worship that we're able to tell ourselves to be truly human and be fully satisfied in the community that we're created into. Let me move on from there. So how, then, do we worship? Do anybody, does anybody have a Bible with you, by the way? Or a phone that you can pull up? Good. If you don't mind, can you turn to James 127? James 127 is going to tell us, a style. James is actually going to challenge So James chapter one, verse twenty seven. Go ahead. James one twenty-seven. <clears throat> God considers to be pure religion is this, pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James is telling us that this is the definition of worship. That's altogether different, isn't it? Like for us, worship should be a couple of songs. It should be what we've been doing up there for 30 minutes or so. It should be the four songs that we sing, the couple of prayers that we say. But James is saying religion that is pure and undefiled is this to look at the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted. How does that make sense? How does that make sense? You see, because James started to answer the same questions that we've been answering for a few minutes. He answered what is worship. He realized that worship is assigning worth to somebody. And the only way you assign worth to somebody is by walking into a relationship with somebody. And James realizes that the only true person worth walking into a relationship with, the only relationship that will satisfy us, is Jesus. And so therefore he realizes that he is an extension of a community of Trinity found in God. And he has eternity placed in his heart's for Jesus, And so you realize the absolute dire need of walking into a relationship with Jesus. And he gets this piece. Hear me when I say this. As you start to walk into a relationship with Jesus, you continue to become more and more and more like him and less and less and less like him. And that's what Paul says. So that he may become more and that I may become less. That is the natural default of a relationship with Jesus. When you become more like Jesus... Your heart becomes happy for the things that Jesus' life, Jesus' heart becomes happy for. And your heart yearns for the things that Jesus' heart yearns for. And your heart is sad for the things that Jesus' heart is sad for. That's what continues to happen when we start walking into a relationship with Jesus. So true worship, as, why, as what James is saying, the way you will know that you're truly worshiping Jesus is by when you start to become more and more and more like Jesus. Because this true and sure way of you knowing that you're walking in a relationship with Jesus is that you continue to become more and more like him. Sam, you also said you're close to your mom, right? Give me, give me a few characteristics that you would say are your mom's about you. Things about you that you see that you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's who my mom is. So it treats the routine in my mom. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, put you on the spot. Pretty clean. Clean? clean. Yeah, I mean, it's that's good. Um, I don't have that common. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong, she's the unseen one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I sorry. Um, that's good. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, let's. You I mean that's that's the type of style that I want you guys. to. As we were talking about earlier, being close. If you think about it, the people that you're walking in relationship with in some type of way, you are becoming like that person, whether you like it or not. You are starting to mold relations. You're starting to mold identities. But the molding of identities with Jesus looks a little bit different because the molding of our identities with Jesus looks like him being perfect and us being less. More of him and the less of him. The reason why I say that is because, I, when, when we talk about worship, I know a lot of good singers. I know a lot of good musicians. But that's not worship leaders. We're not worship leaders. We're just good musicians and we're good singers. You're a good worship leader when you're looking more and more like Jesus. I don't know if you see this analogy where we're just a mirror of Jesus just with a bunch of dust on us. The closer we get to Jesus, the more dust you rub off. So the clearer the picture in the mirror becomes. That's what's happening with us. If you're a worship leader today, if you're aspiring to be a worship leader today, that's what I'd like to challenge you. Forget working on your music or your vocal cords or whatever the case might be. Sure, work on your craft. But prioritize becoming like Jesus. Prioritize getting closer to Jesus. I can tell you guys this. I have seen, I have witnessed people in my life who would do things that have looked drastically different. Things that make no sense. And when I ask them why they do that, the only answer they have is, this is what I feel like Jesus would do when he was here. They're adopting kids. They're walking in, into places of hurt. And challenging people, saving people. You heard Kotsama, you heard her stories. I know people that have adopted guys who have some type of a sexual feeling toward other guys, but they adopt them into their families so that they can be corrected, they can have a community. We've, we've seen some drastically different things, and when you ask these people the question strictly of why, all they say is, this is what I feel like doing because this is what Jesus would have That is true worship. One of my favorite stories um, uh, this is this guy um, in Austin. He had, um, he had cerebral palsy, right? I, I, I actually didn't know too much about his story. Um, and when we were in college, we, we used to have this guy always stand behind us. Whatever reason we used to sit in the same seats, and he would sit behind us, and he would always sing off key because he was very well positive. But we never really knew that. And me and my roommates, we love singing, we led worship every time at UT Austin. No one's here. <laughs> um, hey. 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 <laughs> <laughs> We would always stand in a row full of IV leaders, worship leaders apparently. We would always stand there in that same row and we'd be singing and we'd be harmonizing with the band. The band would sound amazing and awesome. And every once in a while we'd turn around and we'd be like, Who's this guy? He's singing so off key, bro. Sing with us. Take a vocal lesson, maybe, right? Like we'd always joke about it. We'd always talk. Austin Stone, the church that we used to go to, released a video about this guy. And they released a video and it's him talking about his condition, the cerebral palsy. And there's a moment in there where he's talking and he says this. He says, I sing out loud because Jesus is all I know. The very person of Jesus is all I know and is all I care about. That's why I sing." that is worship we're just musicians we were just musicians we were just singers that's worship leader. let's talk about the challenges that we face as worship leaders when i when i ask you guys to challenge yourself with not wanting to be primarily a musician not wanting to primarily be a vocal artist all of those are great things Work on your craft. Jesus is giving you talents. Work on your craft. Absolutely. But prioritize the relationship with Jesus. Become like him. The closer you are to him, I promise you, you are going to lead people into assigning worth to Jesus in ways that you have never seen before. Your life is going to be active worship leading. The moment people see your lives, the moment people see your relationships, maybe even your marriages, that will lead you, that will lead them to Jesus. That is worship leading. The few songs that we sing, that is just a declaration of the actual worship leading that we've been doing in our lives. It's not separate from it. The four songs that we sing every Sunday morning or that we're singing on these sets, they're just a combination of what our lives have already been looking like. With that said, I'd I'd like to move into a time where we would strictly talk about an order of worship and I want to talk about a couple of things if you are looking to be a worship leader. And I'd like to give you some time to ask me a few questions. But I want to share with you strictly two things. Two things that the worship team, by the way, there are a few women I here. Please give them a huge round of applause. These guys, These guys have been working hard since February. And since February, we've been creating two things mainly. We've been working on primarily two things. We've been working on figuring out how the sets are going to be structured. And we've been working on things called song studies. And especially if you are aspiring to be a leader of worship in terms of standing in front of people and leading them into a time of an order of worship, hear me on these two points. And the first point is about structuring your sets. Now the way we structure sets, we we have been talking about this quite a bit, we like to say this, that we want to come up with a story for the set before you even pick the song. I don't know how many of you guys have done this when you guys have ever led worship. How many of you have led worship, by the way? How many of you have had to put together a set or something like that? Yeah, a good amount of you guys. Yeah, a good amount of you guys. But how many of you, and and you don't have to raise your hands on this, but is it it usually that you guys just put together a few songs that you thought were good or maybe that you wouldn't have liked to sing or it just sounded like the church knows this song so we put a few songs together or something like that? But we've been challenging that to think of coming up with a story first for a set. And a story can come up, the story that you come up with can be in any format. We use a tool called Acts. That's what I was talking about out there on stage, if you heard me. It's strictly adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That's how our order of worship, the liturgy that Sonia was talking about, that's how that is structured. But there are different tools, and we can talk more about that. I don't want to take too much time in doing that. But I'd like to challenge you first most. To come up with a story for your set before you even pick songs. Don't just pick songs without meaning. Don't just pick songs without any type of intention. Come up with a story. Come up with a story that you want to lead your people into. What is it that you'd like to see your people respond to? They're responding after all, aren't they? So if they're responding to Jesus, if they're responding to some aspect of Jesus, then there's a story associated with it. I'd like to just give you a sneak peek on what we're going to be doing with the set right after dinner. After dinner, we're going to be talking about Jesus, the King. Jesus, is many things, but we also believe Jesus is our King. He's the King of Kings. And He's calling us into a life that is going to look drastically different. So for us to come up with a story for this message that Brian's going to be sharing with us, we had to come up with a a story for this set that was going to reflect this King, Jesus. We, we want to talk about this King Jesus. We want to sing about this King Jesus. And we want to remember and we want to confess things about King Jesus. And so we came up with a story about this King. And I promise you, this challenge is going to work great. Because as you come up with a story, you'll start to see how all these songs that people have written across churches start fitting into these stories. Because remember, as these guys are writing songs, Song, Elevation Worship, Chris Tomlin... The Passion Church, whatever other churches you might listen to, Bethel, they all have stories behind the songs that they write. And all those stories are coming from, remember, these places of a relationship with Jesus. So come up with stories as you think of sets and then insert songs. And the second thing I'd like to challenge you on is study your songs. Study your songs. We have become people of habit where we love singing new songs. And we have no idea what we're even singing. We have no idea what we're singing. We have to be people who understand not only what we're singing, but where is that coming from. Those words have to reflect our relationship with Jesus. And if Jesus is the true person of the Word of God. And if the Word of God is given to us, the surest way we know we can be singing about Jesus is by knowing that the words that are written in our songs are words that are directly from Scripture and nothing else. Words have to be Scripture-based. And that only comes from us actually doing a study on the song where we know, yes, this indeed comes from the Word of God. When I say, he's the king of my heart, yes, I understand. Ephesians talks about Jesus being ruler of hearts. When I talk about, he's a lion and the lamb, yes, I understand the final picture given in Revelations 22 where Jesus is going to come back as a lion, he's going to come back as the lamb. He is both, he is the king lion and he's both. He is the sacrificial lamb, he's both of those. We understand that scripture is writing these songs so I'd like to challenge you guys into doing that. And the last challenge I'll give you is this putting those two things together. I know a lot of us, and, and Sun mentioned this yesterday as well, um, but a lot of us struggle with understanding our literacy. I myself do that. But I'd like to challenge you to think about either complaining about it or wanting to do away with it altogether or <coughs> wanting to rewrite it. Think about the story that it was written and the understanding of where the songs that are in those liturgies are coming from—they're strictly scriptural. Those are scripture verses. So when we complain, what are we? What are we really complaining about? Are we complaining about scripture? Are we complaining about the length? Maybe those are the type of ways you want to orient your question. But strictly, we want to be people who first, most, come up with a story which is based on relationship with Jesus. And we do our study of the songs to make sure that they are based on the word of God alone, which is the sure sign you know, of understanding. So with that said, I'd like to summarize quickly, even for the people that have walked in. I'd like to summarize quickly, and I'd like to leave you guys with a few minutes for questions. But first, most, we talked about what is worshiping. Who can summarize that for me. Somebody? Aside how to Assigning words to somebody, we realize that the only true person worthy of assigning words is Jesus Himself. And we're going to walk into a relationship with Him. It's only as we walk into a relationship with Him that we understand the why of worship. Can someone tell me about the why of worship? It's two things. One is an extension of something. Is the extension of what? Trinity. Holy Trinity. It's the extension of Trinity. We are part of a community that is an extension of the Trinity of God. But not only that, there's something that plays in our hearts. What is it? Something that's plays in our hearts. It's a deep, deep deep that uh, longs for something. It's, it's a whole fraternity, that's right. The why for worship is because as we grow closer to Jesus in relationship, we understand that not only we're a community, that is an extension of the Trinity, but also that we have a longing for eternity that cannot be filled by limited things. And finally, we talk about how can we worship. How we worship is becoming more and more and more like Jesus. True worship leaders look exactly like Jesus. They're not the best musicians. They're not the best singers. They're the people who look exactly like Jesus. Those are the best worship. And finally, in structuring worship, we want to think about stories, we want to think about how we're leading people into a set, what the story is about, and then only then implanting songs, and then we want to study our songs to make sure that they are about the person of Jesus themselves, and the way we can do that is by looking at scripture itself. Yeah? So that said, let me, let me turn that over to you guys. You guys feel free to ask any type of questions. We have roughly about 15 Okay. Right? So yep. I have like whole age groups. Okay. And, um, I mean, such an, I don't know if I'll be hands here, but like- are both <laughs> Our, our, yeah. our like entire, I guess, like older kids mm-hmm. are, you know, they're in their teen years. So mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to get them to fully understand the song, we haven't really tried that. I think like yeah. maybe one of the teachers in our church did try it and she kind of got through to them, but like, you know, we're also exhausted <laughs> with trying sure. to help to teach them the song. so. Yeah. We don't really know, like, we're not applying yeah. the song that they're singing for Sunday School Sunday or Easter Sunday to, like, why they're singing it. Yeah. You know, so they're just singing it because they're like, we have to get sure. up i to I'd like to. I'd like to propose something, especially for Sunday School kids. I'd like to challenge you guys to sing less songs with them if possible. Sing less songs, but sing them more often. Because the thing with kids here is they might not necessarily relate to the same songs, or they might not pick up on songs just as quick. But when you start singing songs, it becomes a matter of life. God tells Joshua something when, when he's telling, be bold and courageous. you guys remember that? Be bold and courageous. Murmur this to your heart. That's what he's saying. That's the true translation of that word right there. It says, be bold and courageous and murmur my words to your heart. He's saying, even in your walking, even in your sleeping, just keep saying things that you know about me. Just keep saying things. And that's what we want to do with our kids we want to get into a practice where they might only know a few things but they know it so well that even in their moments of anxiety even in the moments of depression they're singing those same songs because they know it well so i challenge you guys to do the same to, to think of maybe you know i don't know if you guys you know do four new songs or three new songs every sunday whatever the case might be but pick one song pick two songs pick three songs but get to a part where all kids are singing these songs by heart because I can I can promise you, like when it when it lands into their hearts they'll continue singing this and then one day they'll they'll wonder why am I singing it. But that only happens when you already have the songs in your heart. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's it. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This is a bit of a loaded question, but how do you increase morale in the congregation and on the praise and worship team? When the congregation doesn't want to engage. Hmm. So a problem that we've had forever at our church is that our congregation hates that we do praise and worship. <laughs> they don't want to stand up. They've actually asked us not to ask them to stand up. We have it impacts attendance on the second Sundays we have it, and now it's just impacted our praise and worship team when people don't want to want to be worshiping. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great question. I'll, I'll expand on our story a little bit as well. We, we would ask people to stand and set well because she's one of the worst people at our church. And we'd ask people to stand and they'll just sit there. And, say, nah. and then one time a few kids stood up in the front rows and because uncles were sitting behind them, they told the kids to sit down so they could see the that was it. That, like this. These are the type of stories we've had. But I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd like to answer that question because I've I've had to think about it quite a bit. The the problem that we normally face in our church is first understanding that we're pastoring different types of people. We're leading, we're shepherding different types of people. We're we're if I can call this kids in context of everybody. We're kids who've grown up in a different culture and context altogether than how our parents have grown up. And that part of me has only Change. I've only understood that as I started to talk to these guys a little bit more. But their definition of worship, their definition of what it means to assign worship to God looks different than us. And that's why my answer to you as leading worship for young kids is going to be a different answer to you who might be leading worship for for, for youth or for young adults. There's going to be a different answer for an utchin who is leading adults into worship. And that's primarily what we have to understand is that we're leading different types of people to worship. The best way you can understand who these different people are is by first walking into a relationship with them. And that does not mean for us to change things. I've heard this quite a bit, that people will will separate themselves from the rest of the worship that is happening. Right? I like worshiping this way. He likes worshiping this way. And that separates us. But that separates us because our object of worship isn't the same. Our object of worship becomes the type of song we sing, becomes the style of music. Because if the object of worship strictly is Jesus, it doesn't matter how we worship, everybody should be able to worship. That's just logically, that's what makes sense, right? And and that's what we find in Acts 2 as well. And we find Acts 2, there's a common line in there that I really like to say. It says says a bunch of things about them. It says what they are doing. And it says, and then they had everything in common. This is 3,000 people that Luke is talking about in Acts, and he says, and then they had everything in common. Like it's just a, like a blanket statement. And then 3,000 people had everything. in like, common. Like that's what he's saying. But he's saying that and he's setting the context it because he's saying all these 3,000 people, all, all they're doing is they're spending time with Jesus. So because their object of worship is Jesus, 3,000 people have everything in common and yet we cannot seem to find things in common with 200 people. And it's because our objects of worship have been different. So it's understanding that and finally, I'd, I'd like to say, be able to walk into a relationship with these people. And, and don't separate yourself. Like I, I'd like to say that with everybody else, too. Don't separate yourselves from the adult worships or anything like that. Because the message that, that is sent to them is that you no longer like the style of worship that they have. And it often creates idols for, all, for us in times. It creates contemporary worship or new songs as an idol that is different from what they're because we have to believe that these guys also are worshiping. One of the things that I think, sorry for making this answer really long, but one of the things that I had to do this year was, the challenge that I put on myself, was I wanted to understand how adults worship in our churches. For me to grow as a worship leader, I wanted to understand how these guys worship. And the best way I could do that was by being part of the choir and by being the choir director, really. And as I'm the choir director, I'm able to talk to people who are leaders, People who are picking songs for church. People who pick the same old song that we've been singing since 1500. Because we've been there. And it seems like nothing changes. And when I hear younger kids who are talking about why is it not time to change these songs, I'm able to now bring it back to these guys and have that type of conversation. But they're only listening to me. They're only talking to me. Because first I chose to participate in their worship. They're different from me. I'm not particularly fond, or that's not my exciting type of worship, but I chose to participate in it because I understand their object of worship is Jesus and I wanted to follow them. But that produces conversation, so I'd like to challenge you guys to first participate in worship that is existing and then have conversations because I would like for us to challenge our people. You know what was amazing? I was watching Hutchins right after our first set on Friday morning and they came back to me and they talked to me because we were leading worship and they said, that was so impressive. We want that at our churches. Your Hudson said that. All of your Hudson said that. But they said that because they saw 160 kids raising their hands and singing. They saw it. They don't see that at church. They see kids who are disconnected from worship and are just sitting there, not singing, not saying anything. They're not participating in worship. And that gives them some type of a feeling that maybe you don't know. But they see you guys here and they understand maybe it's just a different set of culture. That type of conversation needs to start with us. Anything else we might have Just about one more question. I'd like to give you guys about five minutes to go get ready for the hike or whatever it is that you guys to be done. I would not trust that guy personally, but <laughs> your lives are yours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So when you have Said it's usually story, right? Yeah, it, um, I was just wondering the process of like, that story. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The first thing I looked at, and I'll, and I'll speak strictly about our conference sets here. Um, the first thing I looked at was what that worship was about. Right? Usually it's before the inductive studies that we're doing, or it's before a talk that's about to come up. So that naturally gives me the theme of what that story means. So we talk about this morning, we were talking quite a bit about idols with that ended up guys right? There's quite a bit of talk about idols. So naturally we knew that Christy and I, when we were coming up with these sets, that we wanted the story to be about challenging idols. And so that gave us a place to start. And then we followed up the tool for acts, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We came up with a story for it. If you guys are interested, Please feel free to come talk to me after. I'd like to share that document with you. We have a full document of all the, all the sets that we're doing and all the stories that we came up with and how we placed songs in them. The worship team knows about them, but if you guys connect with any one of them or any one of us, but all that stuff is there. So is that kind of a deep question? Yeah. There's no other questions. Thank you guys for coming.